This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. practice that before we come out. I know. I'm so bad at it. I'm these days I'm doing it where it sounds like I'm being kind of like uh, insinuating oh, something. Okay. I don't know. Could be anything. Okay. I'm like I know you guys did something bad. Like yeah. what's up Kansas City? Yeah. I don't know if that's right. We know the bad things you've done. Oh, We've we... been studying them and Ow. researching them poorly for days. <laughs> Hours even. <laughs> Cutting, pasting, <laughs> wikipeding the fuck out of things. That's all true. Sorry, but this is kind of a big theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're right here. I know. Like you're right here. I feel like they added a row and you guys are just like <laughs> in the back of the plane. <laughs> your fucking faces. You, guys, you brought your own chairs. You're like, um, <laughs> We're with the painting company. We're just going to be one moment. 25 folding chairs. Second row's livid. That'd be awesome. They brought the rug. They're the oh rug. My God, the thank rug you company. so much. This is a gorgeous piece. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't read. It's the history of Missouri right on this rug. You see, it, it starts over here. Uh-huh. With the founding of the state. You know the year it was and why. You remember. You don't want to go over it again. This is not a history lesson because we don't have dates and and places. We have nothing Nothing. to offer you but murder. I'm sorry, I don't don't have my glasses on. Is there a bride sitting in the audience? Please stand up for one second. <laughs> her t- she has a... It's a beautiful bride, and it says the husband did it on her pin. <laughs> oh, shit. Are we going into a cosplay area we've never been in before? Or what I'd like to think is that you just got married, and then right after the ceremony, you're like, I'm going to be back in two and a half hours. Is it your bachelorette party? Oh, get she out of here! Two months ago. Two months. Your day is over, girl. <laughs> now you're, you're just a wife. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. 
Carolina. Uh, <laughs> Wives representing. I made Vince go to the car because I lost my bra. <laughs> and I was like, babe, can you go check my bra? And then I was like, is this a tour manager job or is this a husband job? Yeah. Because if you went and said, go get my bra. He could take me to court. <laughs> it's not allowed. That's true. It's simply not allowed. Yes. Also, that's funny because that's something that happens to you in real life. That I and that's something crime. that would happen to me in a terrible nightmare. Where, like, in the middle of about, I'm about to go on stage and I'm like, I'm not wearing a bra. Fuck. <laughs> this show cannot go on. See, if I'm not wearing a bra, I look like a little boy. Uh-huh. And so it's not like I need a bra. I don't know. It's just a different mindset. It's more of a presentational thing as opposed to holding back the tie. Yeah. Yes. Because last night, this has been a broad weekend issue weekend for me. Because this, so this dress, let me tell you about it. It's it's made. Take a walk. Take a walk so all the people can see it. Come on, walk. George just invented a new way of modeling, and I think it works. I think it's fierce, as armpits. they say. Just, just armpit. Armpit out. All of her fashions are armpit based. <laughs> but sorry, I interrupted you. I wish you would. <laughs> uh, this is by Karen's favorite poet and feminist, Jessica Simpson. Yes. She is a leader and a visionary. Mm-hmm. Get behind her. That's right. Um, 100% of her proceeds from the stress that I didn't buy go to Jessica Simpson. <laughs> the Jessica, Jessica Simpson Foundation yeah. that teaches her about Starkiss Tuna. <laughs> remember? She's remember that old thing from 97 years ago? That, that's what you're going to get here. Old references. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> Old, like, uh, VH1 reality show references. Hold on to your hats. From a better place and time. And, oh yeah, so so she makes these dresses and it's for people with boobs. Even if it's like a small dress, people who are smaller that don't have boobs, she's just like, I bet everyone has them. Yeah. So I had to, like, stuff this dress. And so I came out last night and I had, like, double D boobs. There because they were stuffed to the fucking hill. They were happening. Yeah. And then I took the cutlets, we learned, out. Yes. Left them on stage. They're gone. (laughs) Did those cutlets come with the dress, or do you own cutlets? I own them, because vintage dresses, again, tiny waist, big boobs, you have to fill them out. Yeah. I'm cheap as fuck, and I won't get anything altered. I just won't. Or fake boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking kick out that 15 grand, or however much they cost. I think that's like the low, I think that's a Groupon boob job. Yeah. Don't splurge. Let's talk about this fucking thing. I... There she goes. Thank you. Thank Show you. that rug. Show the rug. Work the rug. I went all the way off the rug. Thank you. I, uh... God, I wish I could explain my clothes. I've given up on dresses. Um, but not in a... I, I was having a lot of fun with them, and then... We stopped touring for a little while, and when we started again, the first show that we did, I just brought the last dress I had worn, not accounting for the time in between there where I had been eating fast food like it was my passion in life. And so I went to put the dress on, it was like, and then I, so for that show, I was like, look, I simply can't wear my dress. And then once I was up here in my regular clothes, I was like, I'm just wearing my regular clothes. (laughs) 
it's so I, fun. Don't know why you, you you can do this for life. I mean, but it was very celebratory, kind of like it's a big deal to us to be here, yeah. so I shouldn't wear my pajamas. But it just turns out <laughs> that that's what I want to do. Look, you fucking did your hair. Listen, it looks great. Look and listen to your hair. <laughs> I couldn't have more eyeshadow on. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of neck up shit right now. It's just where I am, and I'm not gonna apologize. And you shouldn't either. It's very stress. It's a stressful time. It's a stressful time. We're all stressed. Tell them about your your boots in <laughs> oh, the airport incident, though. <laughs> so, when we left to come here, um, all of our friends uh, and, of course, our tour manager Vince told us, yes, the greatest tour manager on the road today. He let us know that we were going to be leaving L.A., which was uh, around 78 degrees with fires on all sides. Every, everything. circle of fire. Um, It looked like Sauron. Is that right? No. It's the reference I'm trying to make. I don't know. Was that right? Oh, okay. Is that Game of Thrones? That's uh, close, 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 close. Same outfits. It's um, Lord of the Rings. It's what? Lord of the Rings or Return of the Jedi, whatever. Um, (laughs) I at 21 I stopped pretending for guys that I gave a shit (laughs) fantasy. It's just like no, I don't want to sit through this. (laughs) I want to watch 13 going on 30 again. Goodbye. It's a it's a classic film. Um, So. Vince was like, we're leaving here in these temperatures and we're going, it's 20 where we're going. So, and this and is then, the kind of work he has to do because we would just come as yeah, we are. He has to be like, here's how degrees it's going to be. Here's what time you need to leave for the airport. Here's what day you're leaving. Tomorrow. No flip-flops. No, no flip-flops. Um, so I had to call people that I knew traveled across the country often and were wealthy. And I was like, can I borrow your nice coat? Can I borrow things? So I like rounded up a bunch of warm I mean, cold weather clothes. But then I was like, I'm getting out. I'm not going to borrow shoes for anybody. So I went to the designer shoe warehouse, which um, you guys have those here, right? So what I always forget, it seems like the best idea because it's like very convenient. But what I always forget is the reason that shoes are at the designer shoe warehouse is because they're broken and they don't work. <laughs> and people in like department stores were like, what the fuck is this neon tennis shoe with a heel? Fuck you. And they throw it over their shoulder. And then someone comes and picks it and drives it over to the designer shoe warehouse. You hate to admit it, you know, but... Yeah. You know. Want, but you want a shoe... You just want to pay $9.99 in, and pretend it's going to work out. So I bought these beautiful fleece-lined boots. And then when we actually landed in the airport bathroom, I changed from my slip-on uh, shoes with no socks into these. But... They, they weren't made to hold human feet. You hadn't so tried them on, right? I had not tried them on. <laughs> of course not. I, do, I love to live That's on the edge. That's you to know about Karen is there's no way you tried it on before you no bought it. No fucking way. <laughs> I love in department stores and girls that work in department, women that work in department stores will come up and be like, can I get a dressing for you? like, never. No. <laughs> Me too. It's none of my business whether it fits or not. I, I have to try things on, but I'm so claustrophobic that I just change in the middle of the store. <laughs> I find like a corner mirror and I have like a weird t-shirt on and just yep. okay, anyways go on that's boring. Well no but you're because you're a bit of a nudist. I am. You have a touch of the nudism. <laughs> I just do. Okay go on. We're opposite seas. Anyhow <laughs> trying to put these boots on in the bathroom stall in the uh, St. Louis airport mm-hmm. Uh, it took me fully 10 minutes, a full-on 10 minutes. They probably thought I was, like, dying of appendicitis or something. And I couldn't, like, you couldn't, you can't slip your, 
there's a there's a hard left turn inside the shoe that my foot can't take. I'm just saying, sales their sales shoes are to be avoided. You know, it'd be great is if you had not removed, and I haven't seen you without them. These pants and these shoes, this entire fucking trip. <laughs> I'm just. I sleeping. haven't. I haven't seen you without I'm, them. I'm sleeping in this ninja outfit every night on top of the blankets. Yes, they'll never find me. They'll never detect me. Um, look at these flowers. Oh yeah, thank you so backstage. much. They're from a per, a fl- one of your local florists, Becco. <laughs> Becco, Bico. Bico. Yeah, there you go. Aren't Look at them. They Thank smell you. really good. Lauren, Krista, Rachel, thanks, guys. Classy, you guys, classy. They smell good. They said, I think you might be sick of murder, so we got you flowers. <laughs> like at a funeral. And no, we're never <laughs> sick of murder. <laughs> These are the flowers I want at my funeral. <laughs> Just every single thing is death-related. Okay, I'm done spinning those. Um... <laughs> What else do we have? Um, to the Ozarks today. Oh, we went to Ozark Land, like yeah. you recommended. <laughs> they were like, no, we would have told you to run. <laughs> it was pretty great. It I mean, was. the shit that they were advertising on the side of the wall, how could we not stop? What was it? We were going to buy a plaque that would only have taken up room and had no purpose, or, except for to, like, to hang it in your sassy kitchen. What did it say? It said something, 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 something. It said... <laughs> it just it said, said two things. Some, what were the first two? It was like, good times and, and bikini lines. lines. <laughs> good times and tan lines. Good That's times and tan lines. I mean, who in this world doesn't appreciate... I feel like, because we're from Los Angeles, we don't appreciate how great tan lines are. Mm-hmm. But here, you guys are like, I want a fucking tan yeah. line. Yeah. Give me a tan line. That means vacation. Yeah. But we, we bought a present that you guys are going to be privy to later. Yeah. For whoever does the hometown murder. It's pretty exciting. It's I want to do the hometown murder now because I fucking want it. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't we buy more? It's, let's just say it's a, it's a timeless piece <laughs> that we got at Ozark Land. <laughs> yeah. Along with some taffy. <laughs> I did the dumb thing of like they have like a joke like a you know like gag gift section and I was like oh I'll get my nephews like seven some gag stuff even though I don't think you're supposed to do that anymore it's like bullying and like gag gifts or like oh really we well, can't have gag gifts well, anymore some I, nice garlic gum come on <laughs> well I once asked him in front of every we were at like lunch and I was like Micah who's the stupidest kid in your class <laughs> And my brother was like, Georgia, you don't do that. I was like, oh. <laughs> was he all like, everyone's smart the same? No, he was like, Ricky. He knew, he knew. <laughs> he fucking knew. So I'm like, and also my brother bullied the, my brother broke an egg over my head when I was a kid. So his kid's getting gag gifts and he's going to use them on his dad. <sighs> Amen. So I, they had the gum, like, that looks like Wrigley's fruit chew, and then you go to take it and it zaps you, and I was like, I bet these have been here forever and they don't work. So I did it to myself on accident. <laughs> I went, I bet this, I'm going to try it. And I, oh, and then I, like, it was It real. worked. How stupid is that, that I did it to myself? Do you think it was a kind of a high-voltage gum? <laughs> you, was it a good zap? It was a great little zap. Really? Yeah, my brother's going to get it. Yeah. 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 Happy Hanukkah, fucker. <laughs> From Ozark Land. <laughs> there was, I have to say, and I have a picture oh, of this yeah. to prove it, the best graffiti I've ever seen in a bathroom. In uh, Ozark Land. In Ozark Land was a Jewish star someone had drawn, and it said, we are not alone on the television. 
are you okay? <laughs> Is everything? The one guy's like, we're not. <laughs> well, good news, you're not alone. Go to Ozark Land. They meet there every Wednesday. <laughs> in that bathroom stall. In the bathroom stall. <laughs> Also, underneath that, in a different color pen, someone had written, for a good time, called Jesus. And I was like, you know what? That's disrespectful to everybody. That doesn't work out in any direction. <laughs> You're saying Jesus is a slut? I don't think so. What kind of phone do you think Jesus has? Phone? iPhone X, probably. I think, like, I think he has an old wall phone, oh, like yeah. an old rotary phone, that yeah. he walks all the way around the world with a really long cord. Uh-huh. Oh my god, somebody paint that for me. <laughs> Don't fucking ask for things. This crowd, man. You murder who knows. <laughs> You're the people that could do it. Someone uh, at the meet and greet last night gave us this beautiful gift of a doll Ugh. walking towards us, not saying a word, with a, a like 1970s knitted clown doll. <laughs> and then she hands it. She was lovely. Don't worry. She didn't, yeah. kill, she didn't kill us. Then she, and it was, the clown was smiling, and she said, turn it over, and you turn it over, and the, there's a face on the back of its head, and it's, it's like angry, or fe- has different angry feelings. Oh, it was crying. It was crying. <laughs> I don't know. It had, I don't it know had knitted silver tears yeah. on its cheeks. It was haunted. It was the most haunted item in America. And you could tell that, like, it's, it's like 40 years old, but it looked brand new, so some, like, aunt who gave it to her her nephew not knowing what kids like because she's like I'm not having kids <laughs> and the kid was like I hate it like I no one ever loved this doll yeah they're like mommy put it away <laughs> and then it went up into the attic forever yeah. and, and now it's right going- next to the Ouija board and then it started touching the Ouija board no! yes hold on and then the devil came wait and then Jesus called and he was like not today bitches <laughs> There you go. Well, it's going into the fucking podlock, so my house is now haunted. Yep. That's, hey. that's the next podcast. Yeah? Speaking of podcasts, yes. this is my favorite murder. Oh. Thanks for... Thanks. That's Karen Kilgara. And this is Georgia Hardstark. Right? These are the faces of the voices that you've been listening to. <laughs> And then we turn around and are crying. On crying! The oh my god! How cool that would be! <laughs> That's for when we start doing the dance routine at the end. Oh god. Haunted doll dance routine. Who's ready? No one's ready. No one is ready. No one's ready. My uncle, Michael Hardstart, came to the show last night. He lives in St. Louis. Uh, he's, old, he's an older gentleman, lovely man. Had, mm-hmm. And he came backstage after. I was like, I didn't know what to. I don't know how to say. I didn't know what to expect. I knew you had a podcast. I thought, they're not going to be dancing, are they? Like, you just didn't know at all. And then we're talking about boners on stage and stuff. Yeah. Uncle it, Michael. It just slipped out. <laughs> Although, oh. now, that we, now that we're talking about it, I feel like a dancing podcast might be insanely badass because it'd just be like distant music and then the sound of feet. And then you, you just kind of fill it in of like, this is so yeah. great. Huffing and puffing a little. Yeah. <sighs> So much. Here's our, Six, here's our seven, next one. Eight. one this, two. Be, this one will be slow. Potaboo, right? Steven's not here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, thank you guys for coming. He can't come on the road because he adopts too many cats. 
we just stop too much to like pick up kittens. He's he's like you know how every once in a while, like every six months, well not anymore, but it used to be every six months in the news, you'd hear a story of a guy that had like fifteen turtles shoved up his sleeve trying to get across the border. Oh my god, that's totally Stephen with yeah. kittens. He's Turns just out like, Stephen. He's got a fake leg and he just stuffs <laughs> it with kittens. Stuffed with kittens. He didn't even need to have his leg amputated. No. He just wanted a fucking place to put kittens. He did it for the love of kittens. That is dedication. He would do that. Let's spread that rumor. He's perverted. <laughs> for a good time, call Steven and his leg. <laughs> He's perverted for kittens. <laughs> He's actually not watching my cats this time, and I think he, I think I saw his heart break in his eyes when I told him that our friends were staying in town at our place and I just saw it and I know he's like watching the Instagram being like I bet they're not going to be better than me but they're not going to post they better than me and I can see in Elvis's fucking eyes yeah. he's bummed yes he misses Steven yeah never again I love the way we talk about Steven on, as we do a recorded show as if he's never going to listen to it <laughs> he's the first person that hears all of this before you guys even it gets in your ear he's already heard he's this. on it and has edited out this part <laughs> every time. Um, All I want is a sip of that beer that's on the stage. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Kind of rude. <laughs> Just right at arm's length. <laughs> yeah. um, should we sit down? Yes. And get you away from that beer? Yes, okay. please. That's a big screen. Yeah. Big stuff, you guys. Let's put this here. Okay. Let's set the table. Let's, Let's set the table. Let's do that there. The water there. I'm going to do this. Mm. Nope. Wait. Okay. Hey. Can, uh, I get a, can I get an Allen wrench for this chair? Just, oh, no. tight, just to tighten up some nuts on this chair a little Are bit. Are you going to fall? I have chair fear. Oh, no. Is it wobbly? Show the crowd. Show them. Is it wobbly? It's a little wobbly. It might be me. <laughs> You might be wobbly. It might just be me. Don't show them this. Oh, yeah, that's secret. That's secret. Okay. Okay, that's for later. You'll Behind see it. flowers. Are you guys ready to talk about some murder? Yeah. We should let everyone know, this is not, in case you don't know yet, this is not Les Miserables. You went to the wrong place if that's what you thought it would be. It's not a Mannheim Steamrollers Christmas concert. Yeah. Those are, there's that, if you go that way, I don't know, that way you'll find that, and the other way you'll find that. So, this is not what this is. Unless Les Miserables is a true crime podcast, and I didn't know. <laughs> well, it is kind of. It kind there's, of is. There's yeah. a pretty true crime right at the beginning. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and then the crime of war. Anyhow. <laughs> um, it's a, also, it's a comedy podcast where we talk about true crime, and sometimes that bums people out. And so... If you're the kind of person that gets bummed out by stuff like that, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's the comedy part. I'm if joking. If you do get bummed out, don't worry. The hilarity will ensue. <laughs> but not because of the crime. You know? Never. Yeah. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect. And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But 
scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. <laughs> the Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash MFM. OnePassword.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. You go first tonight? Yeah, I'm first. I'm first. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, yeah, <laughs> this case is fascinating to me. I first saw it on an episode of 48 Hours, came in in the ha- ha- middle half and was so uh, hypnotized by the subject that was being interviewed on the story and his personality and what was happening that I couldn't stop watching it and I became obsessed with it and then Stephen, who sends us suggestions of cases that we could do, sent me this suggestion and I freaked out because I didn't realize that it was in this area. So I don't know if you guys know um, about the International House of Prayer and the Tyler Deaton, Bethany Leedlin case? I don't know it. Fuck, dude. Okay. Buckle the fuck up. Now, this is technically... This is technically not a murder. Um, and I have to say that for legal reasons. <laughs> I, when I was researching this, there's an amazing uh, Rolling Stone article that is called... Um, Love and Death in the House of Prayer by a man named Jeff Teets that's an amazing article that's incredibly thorough um, that I highly recommend that you read. But at the beginning of this Rolling Stone article, there is this disclaimer, which I'm going to read to you so it also counts for me. (laughs) Because when I read it, because I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm just going to retell that 48 hours that I love. And then as I read this, I was just like, holy shit. I think some people wrote some cease and desist letters or something. I don't don't know. I can't wait. Uh... So at the the very top of this article, uh, it said, Editor's note, in October 2014, nearly a year after this story appeared, the case against Micah Moore, you'll meet him later, not Michael Moore, the documentarian. (laughs) God, you guys. Loved him. (laughs) Um, Was dismissed. Um, Basically, they say, uh, that's a a long quote from a lawyer, you don't really need... Okay, with no trial, uh, with a trial no longer imminent, um, 
the prosecutor's office and Moore's defense attorneys released critical pieces of exculpatory evidence for the first time. When we reported this story a year earlier without access to this new information, we presented the criminal case against Moore as entirely credible. Moore implicated Tyler Deaton in the alleged crime, and we presented that implication as credible as well. But the evidence available now suggests overwhelmingly that Bethany Deaton committed suicide and that Moore and Deaton are innocent of any crime. We now know every verifiable statement Moore made to the detectives was either proven false or was contradicted by the evidence. After a confession, investigators discovered no additional evidence that a crime had occurred and both circumstantial and forensic evidence point to suicide. We urge readers to reconsider this story in light of the totality of the evidence, a comprehensive account of that evidence, including more detail on Moore's confession and the suicide is presented below in the original fucking article. It doesn't say fucking. Okay. Wow. Did you guys get that? Did you write so, that down? We have a court reporter that's writing it, so don't worry. <laughs> so that felt important to say, but... I don't follow any of that. Great. Perfect. Because I realized I kind of, uh, I kind of <laughs> buried the lead there. Spoiled but, it? Well, not really, though, because the story itself is fascinating. Uh, whatever the truth of it is, I'm not sure where we are with that right now. We'll so, decide at the end of this. Right. The truth. <laughs> okay. And I want to pronounce uh, Bethany's um, uh, original name is Leedlin. Does anybody know if that's incorrect pronunciation? Leedlin? Then that's it. Okay. So I, just, I think it's right. Okay, I just, don't, I just don't want to say it wrong. Okay, so Bethany Leland grew up in a devoutly Christian home in suburban Dallas. Uh, she and her four siblings were all homeschooled. She read every Dickens novel except for one by the time she was 13. Uh, and upon finishing high school, she won a scholarship to Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas, near Austin. Did, did she ever finish that last Dickens novel? <laughs> we will never know. Why didn't they? Why did that get included? She was... Les Miserables. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Every old book is written by Charles Dickens. The end. <laughs> Uh, she was a genuinely talented writer. And in this article, if you go read it, they have chunks of her writing. She had a blog for a while, and she really is. Her writing is really, really good and very original. I was super impressed by it. Um, so she became the pride of Southwestern's Writing Center, and she uh, eventually would graduate magna cum laude. Um, but in... Uh, 2007, she was invited to join a prayer group that was started by fellow student and Christian named Tyler Deaton. So according to Tyler, uh, right before he was about to get, begin his junior year at Southwestern University, while he was standing outside Barnes & Noble waiting for the midnight release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows... We were there. Right? No, I wasn't. God commanded him to form a worship group. In line. <laughs> he just got bored. Uh, <laughs> he got bored and started hearing the voice of God. Um, so apparently that summer he had been doing uh, missionary work in Pakistan, and he claims that while he was there, um, he saw a number of supernatural things occur, one of which was a young boy who had one leg acquired his second leg. And the word used is acquired. Stephen. <laughs> it was fucking Steven. That like 
that's the singularity taking place and then I die on the stage. It's just like, what? The biggest circle has come full. Okay, so they name a couple other supernatural experiences that he claims to have had and uh, a lot of them seem to be maybe intuition or maybe just, some of them are like things like he would command birds to fly away and they would. Where it's like, so if you say something in a loud voice, birds fly away? I've seen that happen before. Uh. <laughs> to people without powers. <laughs> one of them said um, one time um, people, neighbors were playing music loudly and Tyler yelled Jesus and the music stopped. And it's just like, well, you just sound like the angry neighbor that yeah. wants them to turn the music off. Yeah. That doesn't, that's not religious, specifically. No, I'm going to need more than that um, to join. So anyway, he came back to America and he wanted to see these supernatural things happening here in America. He wanted, he wanted more of that in his life. And so, of course, the answer came outside of Barnes & Noble. God's... <laughs> God said to him, what you just did in Pakistan. So apparently he, he, it was him who acquired the second leg for the boy. What you just did in Pakistan, you're going to do at Southwestern. Um, and the Lord told him who should be in this prayer circle that he was supposed to start. A guy named Justin, a girl named June, and Bethany Leland. Um, so Tyler starts the group with those four people. They're all Christians. They are all at this small university together. So aside from when they would get together, aside from Bible study and praying together, they would spend hours discussing Harry Potter books and films, uh, which they approached with a, quote, religious devotion. Um, a, a, a guy who joined after the initial four, his name is Bose Harrington, and he, he, he was the person who talked to this reporter the most in Rolling Stone, and he said that the books, few, quote, fueled our sense of being on a divine mission. Um, <laughs> uh, they also supported Tyler's obsession, the paradigm of good and evil. Um, so Tyler had been a champion debater in high school, and he applied those skills to uh, his religious pursuits in college. Um, he believed that he was right, and anyone who didn't share his beliefs, which would be kind of evangelical Christians' belief, was, was ignorant. And his senior quote in the Kalalan High School yearbook uh, from Corpus Christi, Texas, read, be intolerant, because some things are just stupid. <laughs> New shirt. <laughs> Lawsuit. <laughs> I love that God, I bet God's paging through that yearbook and he reads that and he's like, I'm going to talk to this guy. This is, this is who I want to start sending messages through. I was going to do the guy who quoted Led Zeppelin, but no, I'm going to no. do this guy instead. No, everyone's heard that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but this, this ability to argue, this the logical thinking and this passion and dedication also made him a very effective evangelist. Um, the four-person prayer circle soon grew to have over 20 members. And um, in that 48 hours uh, episode, Tyler says they interview him. And I highly recommend that you watch that if you haven't seen it already, because it is in a, he's an amazing individual. And now uh, he clearly went on that show to prove his innocence and to, to prove that he didn't have anything to do with Bethany's death. Um, I guess I should just say that. Um, so on that, in that interview, he says, my gift and something that is also a curse is that I'm charismatic. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm charismatic. I've 
owned that from the beginning. I'll own it to the end. I can be electric and magnetic. I'm glad he's owning it. He is owning it. No, what you say is, I'm gassy. I've been gassy from the beginning, and I'm gassy from the end, and I'm owning it. Look, I'm owning it. That's what you own. You don't own. I'm beautiful. I'm so gorgeous. Look, look, people have accused, fine. I'll I'll take it. Hauntingly beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And electric and magnetic. Okay. But he was also conflicted because... uh, from, from, since he can remember, he had homosexual impulses uh, that he could not control, and he felt very conflicted about that because it did not line up with his uh, evangelical Christian upbringing or beliefs that he held himself. Um, he told friends that he knew that there was a connection between this, his interests in these, because he also liked, um, uh, shit, what's the other, um, the Narnia books. Um, Yes. The, the, thank you. The Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> was, oh, yeah. I was so close. I mean, I was fucking... V.C. Andrews. I just... <laughs> oh, I was telling Georgia, I have, I have the audio. I'm still listening to it on the audiobook because it's hard to take. Um, but oh my God, some of the phrases that, those, that they use in that book, My Sweet Audrina, if anyone's reading along... I don't know if anybody noticed this. At one point near the, near the beginning, I think she's describing Vera, the cousin, and she says, clumsily clumbering down the hall. <laughs> Clumbering's not a word, is it? Okay. Tyler basically told his friends that he knew he was obsessed with these fantasy novels and Harry Potter and witchcraft and all these things. Bethany, in the, this, as the uh, prayer group um, gets bigger. Bethany um, invites her friend Micah Moore into the group in 2007. They had met in an English class. They hit it off. They were really good friends. He told her a story about dropping acid and having visions of angels and demons fighting over his soul. And so she's like, I think you should come to our prayer group. That sounds like acid. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it could be that or it could be like one time I took acid and then it was just Goofy's face spinning and spinning and spinning. I think you should come to Disneyland. (laughs) I can't see that goddamn dog again. Um, So she believed that Micah was a lost soul in need of saving. There are many of these people on the Southwestern campus and this prayer group's job, they slowly began to believe that their job was to save these souls. Um, so in December 2007, Tyler, uh, his cousin told him he should go to a seminar at, at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And um, it, it's a charismatic Christian movement based here in Kansas City um, and a nearby suburb of Grandview. Um, and the people, the people that go to this church, maybe some of you are here. Um, <laughs> Close your ears for what she's about to say. You don't think about these things until you're saying you them don't. out loud into a large group of people. Yeah. I don't think this podcast would like exist if we had to have said every episode in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> you know? No way. There's something about the comfort of my That's living room. Of just those cats staring at you and no one else. <laughs> Steven. Um, but basically, this is the tenant and it's their, you know, this isn't uh, editorial. This is a fact. Their, their belief is that the second coming will be soon, and that God needs uh, our help on earth to return Christ to earth by fighting the Antichrist. So this is all a very eminent issue uh, 
they believe. So they also believe that young people will make up God's army and they will fight the Antichrist in a seven-year battle called the Tribulation. And when that's over, Jesus is going to return to earth and then take up a sword and kill all the unsaved people, and then the survivors will rule heaven and earth for eternity. Oh my God, I need a nap. That's fucking exhausting <laughs> shit, man. Just, just after I say that, I just want to really quickly remind the Jews of Missouri, you're not alone. <laughs> it just feels relevant for this moment. That means oh. a lot. <laughs> Does that mean a lot to you? It means a lot to me. Okay. <clears throat> Amen. Also, in, in their teachings, the way that they explain things is the way you should pray and interact with God is you should see Christ as your bridegroom. And, uh, <laughs> bridegroom. And um, that your prayer experience should be one of intimacy with him. And uh, there's a lot of strong sexual undertones in, in the way they worship, according to ex-members who, tell, who talk to Rolling Stone. And at the International... International House of Pancake Prayer <laughs> Complex. You just can't help it. I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's actually brilliant marketing of them. Because yeah. they're just like, you know it, now come over here. You've had breakfast, now come over and get saved. And it's like, if you're trying to recruit someone, you'd be like, hey, do you want to go to IHOP on Sunday morning? <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to go to IHOP. Oh my God. I love how they have different flavors of syrup and God. Church, I feel like IHOP is the opposite of church. Like, in the feeling I have when I think yeah. about how much time I've spent in church, <laughs> staring, starving, hating, <laughs> then you're an IHOP and you're just like, syrup, flood of love. <laughs> That's my issue. Now we're talking Catholicism. We're going to, don't worry. Then we're going to go to Hindu. We're going to hit it all tonight. Yeah. Thank God, run out the back. Okay. <laughs> so at the, at this, um, complex, the, the IHOP complex, they play music all the time in the cafeterias, in the hallways, in the prayer rooms, and it's composed um, by the elders of the church to enhance uh, the ecstatic experience and make it omnipresent. Um, and former IHOPers have talked about being addicted to that music, that when it's turned off, they become very nervous and irritable. And they also talk about the sedative uh, atmosphere of the prayer room. They all go into a prayer room for hours and hours at a time. And when they leave the prayer room, um, they become anxious, discouraged, and they often say to each other, I got to get back into the prayer room. So just scientifically, we've got a lot of things here that are matching up with cult practices and indoctrination into the cult and, and uh, brainwashing. Um, but just in that way of like, hey, turn that music off for a little while. You know what I mean? <laughs> Put some Beyonce on. Let's have some fucking fun. How about an hour, a solid hour of prayer, and then you go throw a Frisbee for a while? It doesn't need to be four hours. Um, but I'm not in charge. So members of the church prayed all day and night, long sessions of mesmeric musical worship, repeating the same phrases over and over for hours at a time. So when Tyler came home, he went there uh, at his cousin's urging, and he had a, uh, he went and had a, like a weekend there or whatever. In my mind, it was like a weekend, but it could have been fucking 70 days. But <laughs> when he came back to... Um, to college, he told all of his friends in the prayer, his prayer group he'd had a transformation and that he had been chosen to train God's final army. Um, so <laughs> things are getting serious. So in spring of 2008, 
Um, everyone in the group believed that Tyler was an end times apostle and that they had sell, themselves were receiving prophecies from God. So in the stories that you read, these kids are starting to believe they also are being talked to by God and then they're telling each other the prophecies. And it truly is, are things like, I, I, God told me a prophecy that I should marry you. And then the other person would be like, well, I don't agree with this prophecy. And they're, everything is becoming very like, it's a message from God. It has to happen. Where are the fucking teachers? in this whole story they're in that part of the library no one goes in with the weird magazines that are in plastic yeah yeah bad coffee yeah a lot of whispering yeah nobody really knows what's going on okay so um basically tyler tells the group that they're all going to move to kansas city to be closer to uh, ihop central um and they're like we're down we're in we are soldiers in god's army so, uh, in early 2009, Tyler and Bethany moved to Grandview, Missouri to begin IHOP's six-month internship program. So, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day, they absorbed biblical analysis theology, and then from 6 till midnight, they worshipped in the prayer room. 6 till midnight is six hours. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sit here for six hours so you guys know what it feels like. So, you understand like. how much worship that is, because it's a ton. So... Then slowly, um, the other kids from the prayer group who either were still in school or whatever, they were slowly moving up to uh, Kansas City to move there. And they started a thing called The Community. And this was Tyler's idea. They um, lived in two separate houses, boys in one house, girls in the other. Uh, the houses were four miles apart. And um, they then they would meet together in the boys' house when they had have communal meetings. Um, and... Tyler was receiving messages from God, not only about the coming tribulation, but he also had messages about where people should sit at dinner and how they should dress. I don't think God gives a shit about that stuff. No. I'm going to go ahead. And... That's not what the messages that Tyler was getting okay. said. Okay. So, All right. Okay. There was a lot, of, uh, a lot of control and a lot of, you don't think for yourself, I think for you, right. because God told me. Right. Um, so... Then the, the members of the group uh, start kind of cutting out fa- friends and family members who aren't that into what they're doing, of course, because they're oppressing their um, allegiance to God's army for the tribulation. And, uh, and then he starts discouraging relationships between them, um, saying that they're a distraction and an offense to God. But he did encourage prolonged affectionate contact, particularly among men, because he said uh, they were had been wrongly socialized against it, so they needed to hug and cuddle, give each other massages. Um, because if you were uncomfortable with another man's touch, then you had a wall in your heart, and you were only experiencing part of God's love and that you couldn't function as a Christian in this way. So then Tyler claims to the group that he has a revelation that his homosexuality is actually a choice. And so a few days later, he says, as he's sitting in the prayer room watching Bethany worship. So Bethany had actually had a big crush on him for a long time. It was a big part of why she was such a huge uh, part of this group. And she had told him that she had a marriage prophecy about him. And when she she told him that he like iced her and was just like, no, and was really, really cold to her and it broke her heart, but she stayed in and she believed that she believed homosexuality was a sickness that needed to be cured in him and that she was just going to stand by and be patient and basically love him out of it. So one day he announces to the group that he um, was in his words, sitting in the prayer room, watching Bethany worship. And he uh, felt a giant vat of affection 
uh, rush over him. That's a direct quote. Oh, that does not sound very romantic. It's not... I mean, everybody's different, but... Just a vat spilled all over Just a boiling, scalding vat of affection. Tumbled Just this... He actually later wrote in an essay, I was experiencing real, passionate, sexual, knock-me-off-my-feet, pure and glorious attractions for the most beautiful woman alive. (sighs) Um... So then when they complete their internship there, he asks her out, and in the summer of 2009, um, he announces to her that he intended to pursue her unto marriage, um, which is, I guess, the Bible way of saying it. So, of course, she's thrilled. This is, like, what she was kind of hanging in there and waiting for, and she thinks he's finally seen the light, and they're going to be all aligned uh, in the spirit. <laughs> I just made that up. Um, <laughs> Karen, are you joining this cult right now? <laughs> And then the idea of Jesus with a sword does kind of make me smile a little bit. <laughs> it's just exactly the opposite of how he works in every way. <laughs> like, I, yes, you can say that, like, a fallen angel would come or, like, there's some, maybe Michael, he was a big fighter, but Jesus isn't going to come and kill people with a sword? <laughs> That's nuts. He's a hippie. Okay. <laughs> Look, we all have our own beliefs. Okay. So here's how they did it. To the group, every, they think this is a staged relationship. And this is why. They went on a date every Tuesday between 6 and 9. And then they spent Fridays baking bread together. That was the extent of how they hung. There was no Netflixing and there was no chilling. That's it was all... That's courted me. <laughs> oh my God, is he uh, in the IHOP? <laughs> Vince baking bread for hours? Um, okay. Uh, Tyler claimed that anything more than that would be subordinating the needs um, of the group to their own needs. Um, so group first, group first, group first, which is another huge cult thing. He discouraged Bethany from physical displays of affection, and they would not kiss until their engagement two and a half years later. Where is that vat of affection we were talking about? With the vat is at a tilt. It's not pouring. It's not a stream or a waterfall of affection yet. Uh, she was promised a vat, and I'm going <laughs> to... Okay. So they get married in August of 2012, and in this procession... <laughs> He sings, come to me, my beloved. So the groom is singing at his own oh. wedding. Wrong, right? Wrong. How much would you pay to be at that wedding? <laughs> so much money. Well, the mother... So uh, there's... Of course, the mother is in this 48 Hours episode. Of course, it's tragically sad because essentially her daughter just got taken away from her and then died in a way that she in no way believes she would do. Right. She's, no, as she knew her as her daughter, she would not kill herself. Um, and she says that at this wedding, it looked like this, this adjoining of these apostolic, like it looked like a religious ceremony about something else as opposed to a wedding of two people that were in love. And she said it was singing at her. He was singing at her. And there was a, you know, of course it was a lot of like, (laughs) you know, the leaders of the army. There was just a lot of shit that was very exclusionary to family and friends, but, but they were there anyway. So. They said that Bethany seemed resolved and serene. <laughs> resolved at your wedding. <laughs> look, look, I'm doing it. I'm fucking doing this. I'm fucking doing the this. The Jordan almonds have been purchased and put into little baggies. <laughs> There's no going back. 
I got 1,000 pounds of Jordan almonds and I'm not throwing them away, not for you, not for anybody. Uh, but some people in attendance said that they were super uneasy and they were spooked by um, Tyler's evident power over Bethany. Um, and uh, several of her old friends said they had a deep sense that they were uh, saying goodbye to her for the final time. Um, yeah, it's very sad. So members of the prayer group say Bethany showed a marked change when the couple came back from their three-week honeymoon. Um, they said that she was really different. She was very withdrawn, and she was acting really weird, and she was she had moved into the men's house, um, into the basement with Tyler, but she kept coming back to the woman's house and staying there for days at a time. Um, then on October 3rd, uh, she was temporarily admitted to Truman Medical Center after threatening suicide. Not attempting, but threatening it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, ten weeks later, on October 30th, 2012, at 9.40 p.m., sheriff's deputies respond to a report of a dead body in the parking lot near Longview Lake Picnic Shelter Number 12. In a tan Ford Windstar van, in the back seat, deputies find the body of Bethany Deaton. A white tra- plastic trash bag has been pulled over her head and tied under her chin. She's 27 years old at the time. On the console, there's two bottles of Tylenol PM. One is unopened and the other is empty. Now, Bethany, in, in the time of them being up here and being at this church, she had gone back to school and gotten, she became a registered nurse. Uh, which is, I think, an important factoid to know about this, that she was a registered nurse with access to any drug that she wanted and to commit suicide by taking one full bottle of Tylenol PM and then putting a bag over your head doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense because her eyes were open and she had inhaled the bag. And if you OD'd on something, you would be out, especially like a sleeping you know, pill, like an mm-hmm. over-the-counter sleeping pill like that. She would have been asleep. Um, and her eyes would have been open. So hmm. the police were baffled by what, what they found here because there was also a suicide note next to her, but it just said, I am evil. It just said all the stuff that kind of didn't sound like her. It was written in her handwriting, but it wasn't her voice. And it certainly wasn't like any of the writing that they put in this Rolling Stone article in the beginning that's right. beautiful and very original and a very, very accurate self-expression. She mm-hmm. was very good at expressing herself on paper. And this was like a weird list of I'm bad and wrong and it should just be over. Now she did, her friends did say there was a marked change when they came back from the honeymoon. So who knows? I mean, like there, something could have happened and we don't know. So, uh, 10 days after Bethany's body is found, Micah Moore, her friend that she got to join the group, who had eventually moved up in 2011, he moved up to Kansas City as well and joined the community. And when he did, um, there was a big upset in the men's house and all the rooms switched around. And um, Tyler had basically wanted Micah to move into his room. And there was kind of, it was kind of an issue. Um, so anyway, 10 days after the bodies found, Micah walks into the Grandview police station and confesses that he killed Bethany. His account is bizarre and salacious, um, but he knew things about the crime scene that you couldn't have known unless you were there in that van. Um, he also claimed that he did it under Tyler's orders. So basically, he told detectives that over the past few months, Bethany had been um, dosed with the antipsychotic Seroquel and that he and several men in the house had been sexually assaulting her when she was out. Oh, my um, God. They thought she would tell someone about it, 
Um, and under questioning by detectives, two of the men in the house who had recently moved out revealed that they were in ongoing sexual relationships with Tyler. And one of them said this relationship was long-term. A fourth said that Tyler had groomed him to be part of their sexual group. They said he was manipulative and exercised in um, control over all the members of the household. And he characterized all of their sexual activity as a religious experience. So... Then two weeks later, after this huge... So when he confesses all of this, and then it suddenly the cops were like, well, that would actually make sense. If someone strangled her in that van, then we know why these things that don't line up with an overdose mm -hmm. happened. You know, it's all starting to line up for them. And then Micah Moore's lawyer recants his admission on his behalf. She declares his confession bizarre, fictional, and made by a distraught, confused young man. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the charges are eventually dropped and Bethany's death, death is ruled a suicide. But very few members of the original group of, I think right around 20 somewhere, 23 maybe, um, none of the, almost none of them believe Bethany would commit suicide. And the, after her death, the community disintegrates. Everybody leaves, people go back, people's parents come and pick them up. Like it's the whole, the whole thing's over. Um, so now I'm going to read you the speech that Tyler gave at Bethany's funeral. Oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> As some of you know already, I am a man who is in love with ideas, with crazy paradigms. And then he laughed. Oh. And, and when they brought me Bethany's body, at first I cried, but then I laughed because I said to her, Bethany, if, if you could see you, you would not like the way you look right now. And last night, we had worship time together very briefly as a group, and it was wonderful, and it just showed me the Lord's supremacy over this wretched thing that is death. And I thought to myself, what a crazy paradigm. And then I thought, Bethany would love my paradigm, because she loved me and was so fiercely supportive and believed me hundreds of times when I thought I was crazy or heretical. The end. What? Can you imagine following that speech? <laughs> And now uh, we're just like, we're going to close this down now because everybody has to go to their car and scream at the top of their lungs. Like what in the living fuck? Oh my God. What in the fuck? Just really quick. I'm going to read you my favorite part of the, of the 48 hours uh, interview. Okay. Because basically he, the interviewer says, it's Troy Roberts. And he says, I have to ask you this question directly. Did you order Micah to kill your wife? And he says, no, no, of course not. I mean, I have read the media, so I know the image. Micah is easily manipulatable. Manipulatable. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> what's the implication? Tyler manipulated him. And then Robert says, I'm asking you if he wanted to please you. And then Tyler gets real, like, real haughty, real fast, too. Oh, this is kind of right where I came in the first time I saw it. I was like, uh-oh, what's happening now? <laughs> Here we go. Because oh. it's that thing of, like, they don't, they don't they don't know how they're being seen. They think that they think they're smarter than everybody. Right. Um, and he says, is the reason you're asking me if he wanted to please me is because you think his desire to please me somehow led to foul play. My sense listening and definitely the way I think anybody watching would interpret is, did Micah want to please you? If the answer is yes, then he could have done this thing that the media painted him as doing. And I don't think that's fair to Micah or to myself. A simple no. I mean... <laughs> None of it's fair to Bethany, no, in my ain't. opinion. No, fucking ain't. Wow. So, anyway, uh, there's your super unsatisfying yet insane story yes. of I 
the community. I wish... I wish this was the kind of show where then we could just watch that episode together. (laughs) Because I want you to see it so bad. It's it's quite something. Let's all go to IHOP. Right? We'll get the pancakes. (laughs) We'll sing the same song for six hours. (laughs) Um, That was fucking incredible. Uh, I cannot wait to watch that. So nuts. Okay. My story. And all alleged. 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 (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Steven. Um, my story is about the oldest people ever sentenced to death in America, Ray and Faye Copeland. Oh! Your friends, everyone's grandfather and grandma here, right? You're all Copelands? Great. <laughs> You're all Copelands. <laughs> we, we sectioned off a whole Copeland area right down yeah. here. This is the Copeland family reunion. Yep. Yeah. Let me tell you about your fucking grandpappy. <laughs> okay. Ray Copeland was born December 30th, 20... Nope, 1914. (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great. Thank you. Off to a good start. Yay! 1914. He grew up in Ozark Hills, Arkansas. He dropped out of school after fourth grade to help on the family's farm, as a lot of kids did during the Depression. Um, even though it was the Great Depression, he, for some reason, his parents spoiled the shit out of him and he got whatever he wanted. But, like what? A strip of molasses? <laughs> A string? I don't know. Could I have an orange, please? <laughs> this is just what all the, pa- the things say and I'm going to believe it. Okay. No, I um, like it. I, I, a spoiled child during the Depression is kind of a great thing right, to think it, about. Like, sets the, you know, he got one boot instead of two boots. <laughs> Um, my mom. His first documented crime is was at the age of 20. He stole two of his family's hogs and sold them in another town. So he's setting up his fucking M.O. <laughs> he just lured them away from all the other hogs when no one was looking. Yeah, and then he's like, hey, you want to buy these? How old was he? 20. Oh, okay. So, so he continue to practice his love of stealing livestock in the area. (laughs) (laughs) So he'd like steal livestock and then sell it to someone else, pocket the money, and then the person would be like, what the fuck? Um, And then... I think they call that a rustler, isn't it? Mm. A rustler? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think they call that a professional wrestler, don't they? (laughs) Hulk Hogan used to do it all the time. Uh... But then he started, he fell, he fell in love with a new thing that he loved forging checks. Oh, I understand that. Yeah, so that was... It's fun. Yeah. That was his new thing. And that landed him in county jail for a year, 1936. In the spring of 1940, Ray made a routine visit to his physician's office, and he meets a woman named Faye Della Wilson. Falls in love with her. Faye, uh, she's 19 at the time. She and Ray's been raised by a hardworking couple from Harrison with little money and raised seven children while living in a dirt floor cabin. Oh. What a fucking bummer, right? Yes. Except what if it was like a dirt floor cabin that was like five bedrooms, three bathrooms, <laughs> just happen to have dirt. Subway the- tile. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it, it always seems like if you were raised in a dirt floor cabin, you're either going to grow up to be like a check forger, like murderer, or you're going to grow up to be like a country sensation. Yeah. The, like, those, Dolly it's, yes, it's Dolly. It's Dolly or these people. Yeah. Not yes, a lot in between. This isn't Dolly's story. Okay. 
just FYI. Do you want to see a picture of Faye and Ray? Sure. Okay, Ray. This is them young and pretty. Hey, hold on. I can't see shit. No, they're murderers. Don't awe them. Yeah. Oh, no. They're kind of attractive, right? I'd take a bad check from him. <laughs> that's it. Her hair is like what I, that's usually what I rocked in the 90s. Some, some weird random oh, yeah. bobby pin right there where I'm like, it's called style. <laughs> Let's get drunk. <laughs> okay. So they started dating, and in six months, they're married. Within a year, have their first kid. Um, and then I wrote, and they're married within six months again, because I copied and pasted that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they have four kids over the next 10 years. Ray keeps up his fucking passion of illegal shit. <laughs> He's sentenced to a year in jail for stealing horses from a neighbor's farm, and then the family's like, let's get the fuck out of here, they're onto us, and they move to Missouri, and he's immediately arrested for cattle theft again. Like the second he gets here, he's like, sorry, you guys eat. I'm just real quick. I, there's just a couple cows I see across the street yeah. that seem like they don't have an owner. Right. Um, okay, so he keeps doing this from 1953 to 1966, and they move from town to town, stealing livestock, and fucking writing bad checks, and doing it again and again. It's totally his thing. Because before, the internet or phones or whatever it was just kind of like it would be you'd hear tell of somebody that stole the cow right basically yeah but then I, that guy would show up and be like okay you can have the horse <laughs> do you need to borrow the horse for an hour like don't they know what like one has a freckle do horses have and they're like that's bob's horse yeah well usually i think it's branding that's why right. they brand it that makes way more sense <laughs> than any kind of but no, Bob's horse has shorter bangs. It's not, it's not Bob's horse. No. I mean, I'm like, branding. what a fucking great idea. Shit, right? During the summer of 1966, the Copeland family go back to Missouri where Ray and Faye successfully purchased a small farm with 40 acres of land in Mooresville, population 130. No, that's not a good number for stealing stuff. No, I know, right? Like, no. move to a big city. Yeah, blend in, dummy. Dude, for real. Um, da, 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 da. Faith takes a job at a glove-making company. I thought you'd like that. I kept that in for you. I thought you said love-making company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't know there was a job back then? <laughs> it's... A company comprised of the worst word in the English language. <laughs> we make this word that everyone hates saying. Um, no gloves. What? Glo you mean gloves. Gloves. Yeah. I okay. might be going deaf. Okay. It's a chance. That's good. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so Ray's unpopular with neighbors. They call him a bitter elderly man. You know, a fucking asshole. Wow, what a slam. I know. <laughs> you bigger elderly man. Uh, they think he's abusive, of course, to Faye and her children. Um, a real bitey and snappy, recalled the owner of a local cafe. <laughs> Wasn't he supposed to be bitey? He's at a cafe eating. <laughs> Is he thinking of a giant turtle? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said a giant turtle. Oh, you're asking me about Ray? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's fine. He, well, he's got a hard shell. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> no. Bitey and snappy. Do you want to? I think I don't think you guys have turned against him enough because I left. <laughs> Ready? 
yell to waitresses, boo. Boo. Uh, fuck you. And he would try to run over dogs in the street. What? <laughs> I knew it. I knew you guys would fucking be on my side after that. That's so terrible. It makes me laugh. <laughs> it's like, this is where... Okay, so now Ray's like, I'm older, I'm snappier. <laughs> I'm ready to start actually scheming. Oh. So le- there's a photo of them old-timey now so we can see what they fucking really look like. And be like, oh. Whoa. Because yeah. they were like cute before. They look like a country couple, country singing couple. <laughs> now. Now. Her right eye is sliding off of her face. <laughs> And he is not the man I used to know whatsoever. <laughs> I don't even recognize you. I mean, bitey ants, he kind of fucking looks like a turtle. <laughs> you'd be like, you'd be like, sir, do you know how to get to the courthouse? Get away from me, you! You're like, what? Why? I don't like it. Sir, I didn't even say anything. I, I don't, don't like it. I don't like it. Right. Okay, so now they're like, scam time. So, um... <laughs> Instead of just stealing, so he was doing this thing where he would go to cattle auctions, buy the horse, write a bad check, take the horse, and then they'd be like, give us the fucking horse back, you idiot. Yeah. And so it didn't work. So instead, he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get hitchhikers and hobos. I'm going to bring them to the cattle auctions and make them buy the horses (laughs) and then take it. (laughs) Has he ever thought of just getting a job? <laughs> it's so much easier. Could be Is a it? mailman. He could be a fucking hat salesman, or a, <laughs> he could be a dentist. Okay, so that didn't work. Blah blah blah. But then he was like, "Oh, here's a better idea. A better idea. I'm gonna pick up these drifters and hitchhikers." I'm going to say to them, I'll pay you money, you stay in my house, um, and you, I'm going to help you open a bank account and get your shit together, and you're going to buy these cattle for me. Oh. So he would open bank accounts for them, and then they would go write the bad checks, and by the time they figured it out, those hitchhikers and drifters were gone, so they didn't know it was from Ray, even though he always did that. I don't know. Okay. Listen, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, okay. Things went a little slower back then. Right. He got away with it a bunch, stealing a total of $32,000 with phony bank accounts and bad checks. Wow. Until one of his victims, Gerald Perkins, um, is interrogated and exposes Ray's crime. Ray's arrested, sent to jail, blah, blah, blah. When he's released from prison, he does the thing where he's like, well, now I just can't leave any witnesses. Oh. Yeah. So... <clears throat> so then he would ha- he would do all this shit, and then after that he would kill them with a single shot to the back of the skull with a 22 caliber Marlin bolt action rifle. Once the livestock had been purchased and sold off, that's his new scheme. Wow. Yeah. What? Just like he, they'd be like, "I'm back from the auction, sir." Yeah. <laughs> Walking into the corral, like all at their house. Yeah, I think at the house they would do that, or a back, you know, at the barn in the back. Jesus Christ. So this went on for, guess how long? Oh, please, four weeks. <laughs> 20 years. No! What? I mean... 20 years until 1989. But sorry, so... It, because, no brag, but I was in the 4-H and I showed sheep at the fair. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's one of my proudest accomplishments. And uh, I guess he would go to different auction places then, right? Because these play, they're getting ripped off even though it's random people right. like the, the, the yeah. hobo that just took a shower and had his hat replaced or whatever. <laughs> I mean, they're not, nobody's catching on for that long. Mm-hmm. Shit. And they're disappearing too, but they were drifters. They didn't have family looking for them. So right. it's kind of a perfect thing. Um, and then, and, okay, so then in 1989, a 57-year-old drifter named James McCormick is like, hey, guys, I was just almost shot and killed <laughs> by those old-timey, like, innocent-looking old people you have over here. They and Ray Copeland. And they were like, we, were on, we thought he was up to something no good. Because they were, like, kind of on to him at this point with the forging check shit. <laughs> so wait, this guy escaped? He escaped. Holy I think they pulled shit. a gun on him and he fucking skedaddled. Wow. Yeah. It's not like it's is the perfect word. It's the word. <laughs> Since this whole thing is like a weird Andy Cap cartoon, for Christ's sake. So they knew Ray's history, so they got enough evidence to get a uh, search warrant for his farm. So they search his farm for like a week and they don't find anything. And then they're like, doesn't he own another farm? And so they go search that farm and they don't find anything. Just kidding. <laughs> They, a week-long search, okay, turns up three bodies on a nearby farm in Ludlow. Three corpses were buried in the barn in shallow graves. They'd all been shot in the head with a 22. Um, they were identified as Jimmy Dale Harvey, he's 27, Paul Cowart, he's 21, and John Freeman, 27, all transients who had last been seen working for Copeland. So young, too. I know. And later investigators uncovered another corpse in the same barn, Wayne Warner, who's a drifter who spent his last month's uh, moments with Ray Copeland. And the final body was Dennis Murphy, 27, another one of Copeland's business associates, <laughs> whose remains are found in a well on another farm. Whoa. Um, also found in the Copeland home with these two uh, was a list of 24 names of farm helpers. And the list is written by Faye. And they find the, ri- a rif- the rifle used to shoot the men, and five of the murder victims that Faye had written had X's next to them, and it's each one who had been killed. Wow. She just fucking X'd them out. <laughs> well, so she could keep track. I mean, uh, look. Listen. She's a business lady. So wait, were they people that they were going to kill? I think people that had worked for them at some point. Oh, okay. And the X's were the people that they had killed. <laughs> So the, the, the five murder victims had X's next to their name, as did seven more people who were never found. Whoa. Seven plus five is 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, who, you. <laughs> who lives there right now? Go dig in your backyard. Yeah, it's gotta oh be like, my God. It's got to be McMansions at this point, right? Dig, dig, dig. Want to hear something really disturbing? Mm. Okay. The most disturbing piece of evidence that showed that Faye was in on the whole thing was that she had made <laughs> a handmade quilt out of the dead victim's clothing. No, Faye. Faye, I want it to be on your side. Yeah. I want it to be on your side. And that's the gift for the hometown murder. <laughs> and you have to put it on your bed. <laughs> Fuck. I know. Isn't that disturbing? That's disgusting. I know. And insane. These people are, they're, because they have three farms. You can buy quilt material, (laughs) you cheap bastards. All right. So creepy. 
Okay, so it's weird. Yeah. It's Ed Gini. <laughs> it is. Faye's offered a deal if she would help find the additional bodies, but she was like, I didn't even know he was killing anyone. Oh. Yeah. Um, they were arraigned on five counts of murder on November 1st, 1990. Faye, who's 69 at this point, goes on trial, says that Ray committed the murders without her knowledge and that she had suffered from battered women's syndrome. But there's all the evidence against her, like her fucking handwritten list with her handwritten exes and the quilt, you know? Right. Um, and in 1990, she's sentenced to death by lethal injection for four of the murders in life without prison for the fifth. So she's like the oldest woman ever to be convicted or to be sent to death. Shit. Um, but wait. On March 7, 1991, 76-year-old Ray went to trial. He's found guilty of all five murders, sentenced to death as well. He tried to plead insanity, but everyone was like, bullshit, dude. <laughs> You're just like, You no. can't plead insanity when you've been committing crimes for 92 yeah. years. Like, <laughs> consistently. You, you clearly got over it at yeah. some point if you ever were. Yeah. Um, and then apparently, after, after he got convicted, he never asked about Faye again. He never fucking inquired as to how his wife was doing. <laughs> he was using her for 60 years? I guess so. Damn. Yeah. Bitey, so, bitey snappy motherfucker. So although they were both convicted uh, to death, Ray died in 1993 of natural causes while waiting to be executed. And in 1999, phase so all of these women's groups, you know, argued about the battered women's syndrome, which is like, we don't really know. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't, you don't know. Yeah. You don't, something, yeah. terrible things were happening on that farm. Right. For sure. Um, so her sentence is commuted to life in prison. Um, and uh, she, uh, she was no longer a threat when she, in 2002 she suffered a stroke. So she is paroled. She was paroled and moved to a nursing home in her hometown of Harrison, um, Arkansas, where she died of natural causes in 2003 at the age of 83. Wow! And there's a photo of the five guys that we know were the victims. Yeah. Wow. And that is your fucking friends, Ray and Faye Copeland. <laughs> wow. That's intense. Old people. Farm stuff. Old people killing. Also farm stuff. You know, like, that's why all farms are, like, at the end of a long road set back away from people. Let's change things so farms have to be, like, next to each other, like, close to the road and next to each other. <laughs> well, the houses have to be real close, and then you can just let your, your animals get, right. go do what they want back behind. Right. Can we show you guys a photo of this? Oh, yes. Before we... Because we're so uh, we're so <laughs> in love with ourselves for picking this this prize for the hometown, can we have a still of what it is? That's the <laughs> lid. Okay, that's the lid of this gorgeous jewelry box, valued at over twenty. There's Vince. That's Vince, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a box. It's full of candy. We wrote some shit in it. It's amazing. Okay. It's fun. Who, okay, who's not drunk? Yeah, you can't a, be drunk. Has a quick hometown. Am I picking or are you picking? It's your picking because okay. you've been on a roll. Get up here quick. Sorry. There's Vince. Go to Vince. I want to pick people in the middle of the aisle. I always do that. Yesterday, I picked a, a pregnant girl in the middle of the aisle. And we didn't realize she was pregnant. Karen goes, hurry up. I was like, pick up the pace. She's rolling down like, the aisle. Oh, and I was just shit. like, come on, lady. I'm not pregnant. 
Brooke. Oh, hi. Brooke, hi, Brooke. Hi, it's Brooke, everybody. It's Brooke. Let's hear it for Brooke. Hello. Don't not clap because you didn't get picked. Okay. Where are you from? I'm from a little town called Sedalia. It's like halfway between... Nice. They all came tonight. Randomly, somebody from Sedalia sitting right next to us. Oh my we god! Sedalia strong. Hell Sedalia yeah! Sweet. We like murder. Good. Okay, so long story short, I live halfway between Kansas City and St. Louis. This is actually oh sorry, a story from St. Louis. <laughs> okay. A current day happening right now. Have you guys heard of Pam Hupp? We and just did it last night. <laughs> my only hometown. No, it's okay. Do it. Do it. Okay. Well, if you guys don't know about Pam Hub, you guys can see the It's fucking about bananas. Yeah, it crazy, crazy. This woman uh, worked in insurance, basically, had a lot of shady shit going on whenever she worked, uh, became friends with this woman, kind of lost touch with her until this woman gets diagnosed with cancer. All of a sudden, Pam wants to be best friends with her again. Uh, Pam drives her back and forth from chemo, is really, really clingy with her, um, gets made the beneficiary of her life insurance instead of her husband. Hmm. They mail the certified letter. Before it even gets delivered, her friend gets murdered. Uh, So Pam basically pins it on her husband. This is all alleged. She hasn't been convicted yet. Yet. But um, anyways, uh, she picked a night that her husband was always gone, stabbed her a whole bunch of times. Husband goes to jail, spends a couple of years in jail. Stabs her 55 times. 55 times. Lots and lots of times. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, husband had an alibi the whole time. No evidence against him. He gets out of jail. Uh, in the meantime, she gets all this life insurance money, does not give it to the daughters, which is what she was allegedly supposed to do with it. Um, they asked her, why haven't you given this money to the daughters? Oh, well, because my mom just died of Alzheimer's and I'm very busy with that. Mom didn't (laughs) die of Alzheimer's. Uh, mom took a whole bunch of Ambien, took it on her own, um, and got, uh, tripped off of her balcony but the rails on her balcony are broken and the people who investigated it said that a normal sized woman could never have broken through those so she gets found on the ground outside there mind you the day before uh whenever pam brought her mom back to the rest home where she lives she goes my mom's really really tired she's not going to be down for dinner or breakfast don't worry about her don't check on her don't check on she's her she's fine that's what everyone says she's about their fine. elderly she's parents very tired. <laughs> please please don't Just check don't. on her I'm paying for you. She's fine. Uh, so anyways, um, gets ruled just accidental. Not anything suspicious going on with that. Uh, time goes by. The husband gets out of jail. Then all of a sudden, uh, they get a 911 call that Pam has been uh, the victim of a home invasion. Somebody had gotten into her car, uh, held a knife to her throat. She ran inside. They chased her inside. She unloaded a clip, killed them with a handgun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All this stuff keeps happening to this woman. Um, So anyways, uh, it turns out to be a disabled man that lives in a local area. um, And they believe that she told him that she worked for a television program like Dateline um, and wanted to pay him $1,000 to be in a reenactment. Mm. He has $900 of cash in his pocket when they find his body. Sequential bills. She also has a $100 bill on her that is in sequence with those bills. But that happens all the time. That's just no big deal. And then also, um, they were like, wait a second, I think we got a 911 call recently where a woman said that a creepy-ass lady picked her up in an SUV saying that she wanted to pay her $1,000 to be in a reenactment for Dateline. She 
stayed sexy and didn't get murdered. She got out of the car, yeah. but they reviewed traffic footage and it was Pam Huff's SUV that pulled the woman in. So they keep postponing her trial. She hasn't been on trial yet, but she's 100% guilty. <laughs> she said it. 100% guilty. Allegedly guilty. Right. Yes. And totally guilty. I think, um, I think you fucking earned this. Brooke, you nailed that shit. Yay! Brooke, Thank everyone. Thank you so much. That was awesome. <laughs> so good. Oh my god. That was amazing. You guys don't jump her and take that box. <laughs> oh, no. You guys, this has been truly such a perfect show. You have been an amazing, yes. amazing audience. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much fun. We're so lucky that we get to do this as a job. We can't freaking believe it. It's all because of you guys. It's such a it's a very, it's a very strange uh, sensation to start this podcast in George's apartment with her and I uh, talking casually and usually very inaccurately about true crime, <laughs> and to have it explode in this way, and to have you guys just come and be this community that you are turning yourselves into. It is an amazing thing to be a part of. Thank yeah, you so thank much you. for doing this with us. We can't. I know. I, it's amazing. Yes. Thank you. So stay sexy. And. Bye, you guys. Thank you.